Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you again with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. And I'm very excited to have with me today as my guest, Chittikash who is somebody that I actually met through uh, book writing and book publishing. He is someone who is coming out with a really fascinating book called Dance On, Love Beyond Grief. And he has, he's gonna share with us a lot about this book today. I think the content is really amazing. He lives in uh, British Columbia, right? Just off, off Vancouver. And he's been an educator and he ran a retreat center for many years, led people on retreats to Machu Picchu and knows a lot about uh, spirituality and personal development. And I'm really excited to have him with me today. So welcome, Chittakash. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yes. So I always like to start off with our guests by asking them a little bit about themselves to share a little bit about your story, which really is the content of your of your book as well the the story that that got you to want to write this book and and put your story out there can you just tell us a little bit about that what inspired you to to put this in the world to write the story well i guess we've got to leap a little ahead um because the the inspiration for the book came from in the passing of my my partner um the ironic part of it is that 34 years earlier when we first met she saw me as a book writer she saw me as a speaker and I didn't at that point she was taking notes of everything I said and I didn't understand what she was doing um, after she passed we had a zoom call um, because it was COVID people couldn't come in person we had a celebration of life and I was listening to all of the all of the amazing stories people were telling about how this woman I'd lived with for 35 years was changing lives just with um, a word or a gesture, it quite blew me away that that I could only be discovering that. And I thought I've got to I've got to get this story out because I didn't want her gift to to disappear because she had moved on. That shifted though um, as I got into writing the book. Um, I realized that the, the the value to the world really is is beyond Cher's gift, a book I will write. It's more important, I think, that people could have the kind of experience that I discovered I was having, which was an ongoing relationship with my partner who had already left. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about that. How about go maybe go a little further back? I mean, how did you even get to do the kind of work you were doing with healing retreats and, and taking people to these mystical, you know, amazing places? Tell us a little bit about your journey towards that. Okay. Um, both Cher and I lived outside the box, each of us independently, wherever we were in the world. We, we never quite understood how we're supposed to be fitting in. So we kept coming up with our own way of doing things. And um, when I first met Shara in 1985, um, I had just come 
back into Canada from traveling abroad. I was in Australia for a while and, and then in Oregon. And I came back to Canada and met this amazing woman who had just arrived back from a tour she'd taken, not a tour, but a, a visit she'd taken to Japan. And um, we were quite struck with each other. She, um, she was a gestalt therapist and I've always wondered about that. So I ended up doing a workshop retreat with her. And from then on, we just kept seeing each other. She'd come to Vancouver from the island. She didn't really want to come to Vancouver much, but I mean, I was there, what could she do? So, so um, we continued to develop our relationship with that. She had bought a property and was building a house on it. And I had some skills. So she said at one point to me, you know, you're working as a carpenter in, in Vancouver. Why don't you come and I'll pay you to work here on my house? And I thought, okay, that works. You know, I can't remember her ever actually paying me though. Um, so I hung around for 35 years, hoping that sometime, you know, there'd be a reckoning. But um, in that process, we actually built our relationship as we were building the house. And the house itself is like a five-story castle on um, on the island. It's two and a half stories on a lower level, and then it spirals up a hill cl uh, uh, cliffside to another two and a half stories above. Um, and at that point, I can remember Sharon and I standing on the waterfront saying we wanted our place to be accessible to, we saw it as a healing place, we could feel the energy and we wanted it accessible to anybody who could come our way. So we um, opened it as a bed and breakfast. It was also a retreat center. We would do, we would do weekend retreats in any number of different areas. We would do personal retreats. And um, we continued with that for quite a while until Shara, quite, rem quite remarkably, she won a lottery to New York uh, the prize was to New York for five days, spending money for two people, five-star hotel or something, and um, $500, what was it, a trip for two. She didn't want to go to New York. So she talked to the person who put the raffle together and said, can I have the money equivalent? He said, fine. So instead of five nights in New York or five days in New York, we had three months in South America. And, um, and <laughs> I never missed going to New York. And when we were in South America, um, quite remarkably, uh, Shara really suffered from the altitude. And then at some point when I was thinking, she's gonna be so glad this is all over. Uh, she said, you know, we could bring tours here. And I'm thinking, you're kidding. I don't wanna be a tour guide. She says, no, not a tour guide. There's so much energy in the mountains. We, we can bring, you know, when you're working with groups, you have to build an energy that people can then work with. And, and that's, that's, that's the job of a facilitator but that the energy is already there. We just needed to get the people there. So we thought we would call the tour, um, enter the mystery. And we took it, uh, took people there to enter the mystery of the Incas and also work on the mystery that they would discover of themselves. And we did that tour for 18 years, most of the time, twice a year. So that's how we got into all of that. And, and, um, we decided to retire from the one island here and move to a bigger island because Shara is an artist and she wanted to be part of the Salt Spring Island community, which is like the, the art colony in Canada. It's got so many writers and musicians and artists. And um, she arrived here. Um, that, that's all written in the, story, in the book, of course. She arrived here under tragic circumstances, having just had a stroke. And she mm. survived that stroke for three years and then left 
but there's so much more to the story than just that. Um, she her recovery was almost miraculous. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more to be said, but that's that's basically the the line that brought us here and put me where I am. I had it's worth saying that this remarkable house that we built that, that transformed lives on Galliano, we left without regret. We'd had a, an amazing time there, but it was at the point at which we'd sold the house. The chair had a couple of accidents that led her into the hospital and a mismanagement in the hospital that caused her stroke. And, and so um, she, she came from, um, we came rather from Galliano and arrived here. If Shara had actually passed away with a stroke, all the doctors were saying she wouldn't survive the weekend, then I would have been left as a, as a man homeless, basically, in a building I didn't care about, having left my home. And um, quite remarkably, I talked to a a medium last year and she said, Shara is saying she left three years um, after she was, three years before she was supposed to. Mm. No, I beg beg your pardon. She she left, she was supposed to leave three years before she did. Yes, got it. And she stayed on. She stayed on in order that I could find my, my bearings in this new place and make it my home. And when mm-hmm. at the point at which that medium said said that gave me that information, that was precisely three years before, uh, three years before that was when Shara had her stroke. Wow. So it was just a confirmation the doctors were correct. But as mm-hmm. I also say in the book, there's a bigger plan. Yeah, yeah. This is really I, I love. You know, I've gotten to see kind of a preview of of this book, and I just. Love that you're looking at things through four different lenses. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I I found myself coming into this process of of being present um, with my partner as she passed and realizing I didn't know anything about what was going on. I didn't really know where she was going and I didn't know what I was to expect. I wanted to be in touch with her somehow. I didn't know if that was possible, but my idea as I look back on it was I didn't want to just have to say she was gone. So if I could pretend that somehow she would continue to be in touch with me some way, then I wouldn't have to draw a line and say it's over, it's done, and now I've got to go into something new. Mm-hmm. I never, I, I didn't do that. And so um, what very happened very soon in, in this process was that there were some very, very clear, undeniable contacts that I was having from Shara. And that immediately shifted, if you like, my glasses. I suddenly had a new way of looking at things. It wasn't that I was here alone. It was that there was something else that was happening here. Shara was definitely present, but I didn't have any way of understanding that. So that was where I kind of got the idea of, well, I've got to put on a different kind of lens. I've got to see, look at this differently. And as I moved moved on into the writing of the book and into reflecting over over the different things that have happened. I've discovered different ways of revealing information and insights just simply by changing my point of view. Yes. I often say with the work that I do with clients, you know, I, I got this from this work I do called Access Consciousness, which is your point of view creates your reality. So when you have a point of view that says, for example, there's nothing that happens once we once we pass we leave our body we leave our bodies that's it i mean we don't leave our bodies that's it we go in the ground right many yeah. people believe that to be true and so i think what can happen is when you have that sort of 
conclusion, it can close you off to the little whispers of different possibilities. Um, yeah. You know, many, many people already in the audience know that um, I'm, I consider myself a, a medium and a psychic, but I don't think that it's something all that unusual. Yes, I've had some additional training in how to do things like communicate with, you know, people that have passed or different kinds of beings that are out there. Um, but I think this is something that we all have the capacity to do. And it seems like you've discovered the same thing. Can you can you say a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I, I mean, I agree with you totally. It's it's, it's so amazing. We sit it. We sit just. Um, when someone has passed, there, there's the, the, the grief that's there. They, they're gone. We don't know how to continue. Somehow I've got all this love. I don't know where to send it. I don't know what to do with it. And, and even if you, if you tend to believe that it's possible, or you've heard stories that there has been contact after death, um, it's like you can get into a place where you're saying, why am well, I not hearing anything? Why, why am I not hearing anything? Um, and and, and I, I'm saying... To hear something, it's not it's not about whether they're sending something or not. Assume that they're sending something, because just because they've left doesn't mean they stop loving you. It doesn't mean that they're not watching what's going on, or that they care about you, or that they stop caring about you. It's that for all of our lives together in a relationship, everything we've done has been physical. The way we've expressed our our love to each other has been physical, and so when someone is trying to reach you energetically because now having gone into spirit gone to the other side they they operate now they are energy beings and we're looking for a physical message right. so basically they're sending a message if you like they're dialing our number yes. but we're not we're not picking up the phone yeah so there, exactly. there are two factors that are going here one are the people who simply don't believe and clearly they they don't even have a connection no possible connection um but the people who do believe and don't don't hear anything, it's because there's some things you got to learn first. And that's what I'm putting into my book. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share with us? And I want to hear more about that. But I wonder if you might share with us some of the experiences that you had with Shara after she passed. Like, how did you know it was her? Like, what what were some of the experiences in particular you may have had? Well, the first and the most dramatic one um, was when. Uh, I had come back from the crematorium and I'm carrying her ashes in a bowl that she made because she was an artist, right? And everything had gone remarkably well because I had taken it upon myself to see her safely to, I called it the door, the transition. When she left, it was like I'd succeeded. It was, it was, it was a very quiet, peaceful passing. It was only when I came through the door carrying the ashes that I suddenly, it suddenly hit me that Cheryl was, was not supposed to be in my arms but rather on my arm we had plans to go some places and i can remember collapsing literally on a, on a couch in the living room totally distraught I've, I've never felt that kind of pain before i'm even feeling it again now and um and i thought i can't stay here this is too painful so i i thought i've got to put this bowl someplace and i, I was going to put it on a three dress three drawer dresser and the dresser was covered with a whole bunch of papers. So I went to pick up all the papers to move them. And when I looked back, there was a poster that was still, uh, it was a paper that was still there, the size of a poster, face down. Just hang on a second. <clears throat> no, you have it right there. 
Oh, yes. And so um, I'm looking at this poster and I pick it up and I turn it over. Now, I had said to Sarah before she left, send, send me a message, you know, tell me you're okay. An eagle. She saw herself as an eagle woman. Um, it was her toad power animal or, or a heart or something. And it was just this desperate hope that there'd be something. So I'm in this fe feeling of grief. And this is the image that I suddenly am looking at. Mm, wow. How joyful. For those that are just listening, it's this beautiful photo of Shara just smiling and her hands out and just like joyful. That's the essence of joy right there. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. It's so cool that you said that because we can come back to that with my second story. <laughs> mm. um, because I'm now looking at that. I started laughing when I saw this. I'm in mm -hmm. grief, right? And in an instant, there was no figuring maybe if or whatever. In an instant, I just suddenly saw, well, this is, she's, how did this end up in my hands? You know, it's most remarkable. And and so she's okay. Obviously, she's okay. So I decided I'm going to look at this. It's something that she wrote long before she left. And this is the other marvelous, um, what's the word? A contradiction in time. time. Time is such a strange illusion. Although she wrote this years before, somehow it comes current and makes has meaning now so i'm i, I said wow sure you're here oh i am i am i am color happens moves around me shifts and turns my feelings i burst beyond the frame that holds me i want to step over my edge explore new dimensions connect with a greater guidance that moves and guides me i mean what better way of saying she's arrived in heaven mm -hmm. right he says, now that I'm finished, there's a feeling of delight, a balance, a floating. My inside has more freedom. It's been stretched, left its patterns, and found now. So, I mean, I didn't have to do much work with this. It was like, there it is, right in front of me. And it's spelled out because I'm a word man. She sent me so many messages in writing. And I'm, I'm happy to, to, from that point, it's like I had another pair of lenses on. That was one of the things that immediately shifted my lenses. I didn't need further proof that there could be contact. That was just too extraordinary. Yes. And you knew. Yeah. You know, it was the same thing. I mean, when my father passed when I was 15 and they, I literally, I had the strangest experience, which apparently is actually quite common. I think what people don't know about um, this idea of after death communication is that there's actually a fair amount of research that has gone into this. And there are organizations like um, ASSIST, the American Center for the Integration of Spiritually Transformative Experiences. Um, this is an organization uh, that I'm a part of. And I, I remember going to one of their conferences and they talked about this phenomenon that often seems to happen where people, um, and this is the experience I had with my dad, where I had the impression I was in somewhat of a dream state, you know, that in between hypnagogic sort of sleep and wake state, and I heard the phone ring and I went to pick up the phone and no one was there, but I knew my dad was there. And I was sort of dream. It was sort of felt like a dream time experience of talking to him on the phone, but the phone actually did ring and there was actually no one on the other line. I, this is some sort of common experience that a lot of people have had, but it's so easy to just dismiss that as, well, that was just some wrong number or whatever, but I knew. I knew from my just my deep intuitive knowing that that was my dad. I knew he was trying to contact me. And my mom had had some experiences with a photograph 
that just fell over. Like, how did that thing fall over? A photograph of him, you know, things like that. I felt like he was giving us messages and we just didn't have the language or didn't know that these were messages per se until we actually like trusted our own intuition and knowing. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much in what you've said. Um, the because because they're energy beings, they work with energy. And a phone call is energy. Lights are energy. When lights flicker, if you're if you're on YouTube and there's a sudden selection, whenever there's a random selection of anything like a raffle or you're drawing cards of some kind, um, how they happen? It's it, I call it like the time of flux, the time at which the instant which is a change. They talk about sun sunset and sunrise being very powerful times in the day because that's when the day changes. That's when the things change. And it said that at that moment, when there's a fine balance that's shifting, that's when people in spirit can can have their maximum impact. They can they can cause things to happen more most easily. So it's it's perfect what you what you just said. The the um, the other the other part that I noticed you were saying that you you just knew it was your dad, and and what I will say to people is, you you have to have the confidence of your own perception. Because sure. no one else can perceive. If I were to, well, I won't go there. I was, I was just going to say, if I were to say I believe something and you say you're wrong, you can't say that you can't say I'm wrong. I'm telling you that this is what I believe. That's fact. Mm -hmm. That's right. what I believe. Whether what I believe or not is right or wrong, that's another thing. So yes. to have the confidence that this experience that you had, the experience that I had, is real and and significant, is 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 valid, and I have no doubt about it. The the um, the thing that we need to be able to get into is realizing that that what gives um, a message, if you like, or a sign significance, uh, or or proves rather that it's that is that it is a sign and not just something, is that it has significance. Right. There are two elements, particularly one is the significance, and the other is the timing. There has to be a correct timing. It happens at just the right time just as this this poster happened to come in my hand. I forgot to say the other element of that was that when I look back at that little table, under the poster, there was another tiny little card that we had in a, a word bowl. And it was face down. When I turned it over, it said, peace. There, there are 800 words in the word bowl. And how that got from the word bowl underneath this poster and arrived in my hand at that particular time, that instant, the timing is everything. Yes, yes. I, I found the same to be true. Um, you know, so many people are, I think when they especially when it's a loved one who's passed, they are, they are often so desperate for some sort of communication. And I just think they don't know the variety of ways in which these messages can come. Like, you know, you, yours, oh, I almost might want, want to call it a synchronicity of some sort. Uh, I've had the experience of hearing. I, I tend to be more clairaudient. So I remember being on the phone. This was a few years ago. My friend called me to tell me, me that one of our friends from college had passed. And immediately, the minute she said it, he was right here in my ear. And he said to me, at like crystal clear, the way you and I are talking right now, I could hear, but it wasn't a voice that was different than my voice. I don't know how to explain it. Like my telepathic communication with with spirits is like it's the sound of my own voice in my head, but it's not me talking because I'm not consciously saying these things. They're just like uh, popping uh, into my head. And the first thing he said to me was, "I'm sorry, I was such a dick to you." And I was like, "Wow, okay." 
Like there's no, in a million years, I would not have made that up as the first thing that I would go to when I hear the news that this person has passed, right? Like, yeah. I'm just thinking, yeah. oh my God, you know, so young, what happened? Um, but the first thing is he just made himself know. And then for the later that evening, I ended up like essentially like mediuming a conversation over text. I'm texting my friend, that same friend who gave me the news and he's talking to me and I'm like, he says this. And he's saying that we're all laughing and remembering memories and things. And I'm like, come on, this is the weirdest thing ever. But like that can happen. What what are some other things that you've either your own experiences or what you've heard from other folks that people might be surprised is a message or communication from someone who's passed? Um, well, um, there's there's, my, there's so many. I, I've got I've got several chapters in the book with these. I'm trying to pick one out of them. Um, there was um, a time when I was um, uh, talking to a friend. Cher was an artist, and there was a gallery that she had just built, and and I had built a a big kind of mountain in front of it, and we're going to run water down over waterfalls, a way of slowing people down on the way into the gallery. And and I happened to be standing there talking to a friend, and it's the middle of the day. The sun is above the building behind me, and there's just a space of like two meters, two two yards uh, of of lights to the bottom of the mountain. I call it mountain. But, and and my friend was talking about bringing some of his his partner's ashes, and he wanted to talk about maybe his ashes, her ashes, and Shara's ashes could share a place. And and I sort of left thinking about him for a moment, and I thought, yeah, you know, I could put some of Shara's ashes up at the top of where the watercourse would begin, all the waterfalls. And at that instant, there was just a flash on the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a shadow, I guess. And I just, it was just something, the thing is to be able to notice, that's, you said it earlier, um, you have to notice what's going on around you. That's a huge skill when we're, we're so focused on mostly the, the, the iPhone that's in front of us or the advertisements that are coming at us. So I happen yeah. to notice, and I said, oh, wow, that's quite, that's quite something. My friend said, what? And I said, well, there's just been a shadow. This big bird or something just flew by. So he stepped back to where he could look up to see the sun. And he said, oh, it's an eagle. Mm. Well, Shara was an eagle woman. And I had just talked about where I was going to put the ashes. And just like that, there's an yes. eagle shadow. And the other part that comes to this, too, when we're talking about how messages can arrive, is that, is that um, spirit spirits can can send messengers they send proxies they send yeah. someone else to give you the message that they want you to have and and so um my friend was the one who told me that was an eagle i didn't know and i, I don't think i would have checked yes and it can come through a person or an animal i do hear a lot of stories about the animals birds in particular different kinds of birds birds that often had a meaning like in your case um or just a butterfly something flying oftentimes yeah. Um, and it also can come through people. I remember an experience I had in Costa Rica. I was in surf camp down there and I was sitting on the beach one day after surfing and just kind of watching what was going on. And there was this like people upset and screaming and three kids, three young, young people had drowned in the, in the ocean. It was a rip current and they got sucked under. And that evening, the spirit of one of those guys that had passed showed up and I started talking to him just like this because like, I tend to again hear things and it's verbal for me oftentimes it can be quite verbal 
And I'm like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. He's like, one minute we were drinking and it was fine. And the next minute I'm here. And I, you know, and I'm like, okay, how are you? Are you okay? He's like, yeah, this is kind of cool. But I, I feel really bad about my mom. And I, my mom, can you tell my mom I'm okay? And can you tell the bartender? See, I didn't know this. The bartender. So it's a tiny little town, Dominical, in, in Costa Rica, right on the ocean there. And there's a, the bartender at the one like restaurant in town apparently had tried to save him. I didn't know all of this, but I had talked to that bartender because it was the, like where I was going to have dinner. And I remember like the next day or something, I went in there and I was like, so you helped the guy, you tried to rescue the guy out of the ocean. And he's like, yeah, how did you know? I'm like, well, he came and told me that and he wanted me to thank you for trying to save his life. And I thought I was being a good, you know, little helper and like trying to help this guy. He wants you to know he's okay. And that thank you for trying. And the guy was so weirded out that what I realized in that is just because I'm getting a message that somebody wants me to convey to someone else doesn't mean I should do that. Right. Because I think the bartender got a little overwhelmed and weirded out by it. And I was like, look, I'm not going to go tell your mother anything. <laughs> like, I don't know you. I don't know these people. I'm not conveying the message, but you can find another way to get it to them. But they will often, for those of us who are aware, I've had the experience and as others have that sometimes they want us to communicate the, the message yeah. to someone who's still alive. And obviously there are mediums and psychics who, who do that for a living. Um, and that might be run, one route for that. But just to let people know, if you have that experience, you're not mandated to share the message, especially if it's not going to be a kindness you know, to the person receiving it, if, if it would upset them. Yeah. Absolutely. I had I had a similar thing happen. Um, the first person to come and see the gallery had to come down to the house because I hadn't actually formally opened the gallery again. And she wanted to go up and see see what was there. And um, on the way, I said, what's your name? She said, Sharon. Well, Shara's name when she was born was Sharon. I just took note of that. Another coincidence. By the way, I'm just going to pause with that on the coincidence. The point is that it's a coincidence. We use the word coincidence as a way of dismissing something that's been happening. Yes. And the, the point is that it is a coincidence. That's what gives it significance. So all, all science and, and shamans, uh, their knowledge is based on the observation, the recognition of coincidences. So when someone says that's just a coincidence, the correct response is to say, I'm so glad you saw that. Yes, yes. it is a coincidence. That's precisely that's cool. the point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so Sharon ended up telling me a story about um, uh, Carol and Mark, and they were neighbors. They were very good neighbors, and Carol and Mark were passionately in love with one another in their middle ages. And Carol passed away, and and Sharon said that Carol uh, came to her in her dream, um, and said she had a message for Mark, just as you were as you got. But the thing was that Mark, who had been so alive and so full of joy with Carol, had just disappeared into pain. He didn't know what to do with it, and his life basically shut down around him, and he was non-responsive, basically, to anything. And so Sharon didn't know quite what to do. But after the third night of getting the same visit from, from Carol, he went, she went to tell Mark. And with Mark, now, he didn't get weirded out. She, she thought he might, but he basically just said, thank you and walked away, but he went to see a hypnotherapist and ended up in a conversation with, Sher with um, Carol. 
and he had several sessions with Carol and then realized he didn't need to have an intermediary. And that's a really important thing. You don't yes. really need an intermediary. You just have the confidence, have to have the confidence to know that there, there is a presence there. And, and our, our thoughts and our memories, for example, and dreams, they're all energetic phenomena. And so a, a spirit can drop a thought into your mind. And we, we are so unaware of that as a possibility. Well, basically, we, we might say, I don't know where I got that thought from. Well, that's a pretty good idea you know, of, of how maybe it wasn't my thought to start with. Yeah. It, it, it came to me because somebody or something, it could be higher guidance that doesn't necessarily have to be a departed soul, but we, we do get guidance in different ways. And, oh, and our, our thoughts are one of those ways. Absolutely. And I think artists who are already open to, I mean, I've worked with artists before where they, they told me they're like channeling information from other dimensions, realities, beings, whatever it may be, kind of moving through them and creating this art or music or whatever it, it is. And dreams, the other thing you said, like so often um, spirits who have passed will come to us in dreams. Um, oftentimes I find because we're not picking up the signals when we're awake. Uh, oftentimes they will also try to approach you at night before bed, which is when people often get scared and kids sometimes, because kids have a more of a tendency to be very open and they tend to actually see spirits and things like that, but they're, they get frightened, you know, especially at night in their room by themselves. Right. And so oftentimes, and if they're told, you know, either if they get very scared or they're dismissed by, by, you know, their parents or whoever say, well, that's not real. That's your imagination. They start to shut down that capacity to see. Um, so that was something else. Yeah. You know, I wanted to mention, but the dreams are very important and to pay attention to them. Don't just dismiss it as that's, oh, that's just my mind doing weird things at night, making things up. Oftentimes well, it is a real message. Yeah. And, and when you're going to sleep, like you say, those things happen. Th that's one of those times of flux that I was saying, of change. Just in, in that state before you're quite asleep. Those are the times when, when, when um, energetic phenomena can happen most easily. And I wanted to, to speak again about the bartender that you said had, had sort of freaked out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it brought to mind one of the key messages I've got in my book, which is that we need to talk about these things. If, if, if we weren't so afraid of death or um, so programmed by society that is in denial of that or take it, there's lots of thoughts that we've got, many of which are based in, in a valid idea of looking after this, the, the privacy of someone who's lost somebody. But asking, have you had any contact with them since? Doesn't mean that you've lost respect for them and you're violating their privacy. I, I know from people asking me that it's a relief because I did have some experience and I and and before I got I changed my lenses, if you like, I wasn't sure what people are gonna do if I started to talk about what I was what I was experiencing. Yeah. And and if we were to find a way of of de um uh take, taking the, the charge to uh, yeah, taking the charge off of this topic then um, a kid, for example, would be listening to mom and an uncle talking to a friend or something, and this conversation would come up and they'd be, oh, really? Yeah, well, I remember. And this is what happens to me now. 
because someone brings up a topic and someone else in the room can share what they've had as well you yes. know a similar yes. experience just something and so the child when the child grows up already accepts this as a possibility and they then become able to hear a story like the bartender could have heard the story and it would have gone into a place that said yeah yeah another one of those yes if, if we could actually establish that in society generally then grief wouldn't be what we now experience grief to be not at all um i you know a, a few episodes back i had this amazing man who was a death doula and we had a similar conversation around um taking the the fear it's really a fear right the fear of death out of it um and unfortunately you know and this is one of the things i had to overcome when i really started working with my capacities as detecting spirits and being able to communicate with them was I had a whole, you know, childhood full of horror movies like Poltergeist and The Exorcist. And wow. I wow. thought I was under the impression having like thought that's what spirit and, you know, I went to Catholic school. And so it was possession. It was bad. They were evil. They were going to hurt you. They were, you know, all these things that I had to really clear a lot of my own preconceived notions of this being a bad and scary thing and that something terrible was going to happen to me if I would allow myself to even go there. So I think sometimes that's the issue that people need to overcome is the fear factor. Um, and because a lot of times the media and, and, and um, although nowadays, I don't know, you know, like the travel channel is basically turned into the paranormal channel, but even the way they portray it, it's a fear-based kind of thing, usually. It sells. That but, sells. Yeah. But the, the point is that if we were telling these stories, then, um, and they're of the nature that we're sharing, and more people are hearing them, then yes. they wouldn't be able to get that kind of traction. They wouldn't, fear wouldn't come into it so much. It would be more like a curiosity. Yes. Yes. And I think the gift, too, um, that I want to add in here, the gift of having after death communication, especially with people you knew, friends, family, whatever, even your enemies is that you, you know you can actually make peace if you didn't get a chance to make peace or have closure with that person while they were alive i have had the experience of being able to do that once they have passed even in in therapy as you know i'm a psychotherapist and i have had the experience sitting with clients where a deceased loved one enters and is present and i may end up facilitating almost like a couples or family session where i get to this person gets to say, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you. I was a bad parent. Um, you know, I'm really proud of everything you've done. And the person who's still alive, both parties really, can finally, you know, work some things out and and get to a better place with one another. And that to me is is really a gift to be able to help people facilitate making peace um, and not harboring the resentments or the guilt and the shame or you know, because people do they have regrets. I shoulda, coulda, woulda. I didn't. And they're carrying this around and people can carry that into the next realm as well. You know, we have a lot of earthbound spirits that are still stuck in some, you know, experience they had here on earth or trauma for us to be able to be receptive to the idea that we can make peace and that this kind of communication can allow for that is really a, a, a tremendous gift. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I've, I have said to people that um, I love Shara more now than I did when she was with me. And that sounds a little strange, but it's loving her in a different way, in a way that I couldn't while she was alive. Because when we're alive with someone and physical with them, and, and you're, this relates to what you were just saying, there are so many other dynamics that are going on. 
Um, there's the context of what happened before, what I'm looking forward, what I've got to do now, the distractions that are there, um, the memories that I'm dealing with, and, and I've got my own ego that I'm working with. All of these things stand as kind of screens or veils between me and the person that I think I'm living with. So when Shara passed away, it, and, and, I'm, and a memory comes to me, and this is where I got the idea that the memory may not be my, didn't originate with me. It's like Shara saying, do you remember this? And I think, and I'm just getting, oh, I'm just, I'm peeling onions or something. And I'm thinking, oh, that was amazing. That time in Machu Picchu when whatever, and, and I, I can go fully back into a memory, but the way I experience the memory is different because now, Instead of I was I was organizing the tour there, so I had this my my tour conductor's hat on, and I got all this other stuff happening in the memory. I just see Shara. I see her differently. I see what her motivation was. I see what her what her purpose was, and I see the beauty with which she was dealing with people. Things that I I, I didn't see so clearly before. So I I uh, the idea of my book Love Beyond Grief um, is is saying basically don't think that love ends because someone has passed away in fact love continues beyond the grief that you're feeling as you start to discover a new dimension of the love that that you thought you had finding it growing and getting better mm -hmm. yeah what's missing what's missing yeah i was just going to say what's missing is the physical and that yeah. there is grieving over that yes however, it just however when you yeah that's right exactly it, it just, just changes, changes. Yeah, sorry, our Zoom's a little out of sync. Um, but yeah, no, it the the love can still be there. It's just different. Um, I feel some in fact with the with the friend who passed away, I actually feel closer with him now. He's with yeah. me more now, and we have a better relationship now than we did when he was alive. We we really do. And yeah. what a gift that, that is. Um, so this so this book is gonna be coming out uh later this year. How how can people find it when when it does? Tell us more about how they can find you or the book. Um, I'm just now setting up a, a website. Um, it will be chittakashauthor.ca and um, they can reach me there. Um, Chittakash is a kind of a giveaway. Um, what you, ser you search for that and you'll find me because there are not a lot of us around. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. And any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Any final thoughts? Like what 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 message would you like to convey to our audience and to the future readers of this book? What are you hoping that they get from this? What I would love is for people to um, find a way of making time to consider what death actually is. Um, the, the biggest release from the fear of death is the acceptance of it. Um, when as long as as long as we try to pretend that it's not there and we don't know what it's about and we and we and we energize those things that are so uncomfortable, it will continue to be a very high impact thing. If you can start, and I and I said this to a woman, uh, shared this idea with a woman, and she said, "Well, let me tell you, um, my husband and I just celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary." And we got to talking about how we should consider our mortality. So um, we we sat down and we talked about what our thoughts were um, and how we wanted our bodies um, treated. We 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 even chose our gravestone. She said, um, "My husband never made it to our thirty seventh wedding anniversary." Mm -hmm. 
she said that was the best exercise we could have done because having having faced it you're not really facing anything when you're making these decisions but you're accepting the inevitability that the the, the relationship is going to end either through divorce or through death mm-hmm. and if you can accept that um i had a poem on the second anniversary of Sarah's passing i'm sitting quietly with some candles and my phone rings at seven o'clock in the morning. That's early on this island. People don't move. And and someone has just picked a tiny little book out of her thousand book library and thought of me not knowing that the day was any kind of an anniversary. And the poem said, um, uh, she, she may be gone, your dearest love, but has not traveled far, just stepped inside home's loveliest room and left the door ajar. So... Following on from what I was just saying, once you can accept death, then the next step isn't so huge. Death is the death of a body. It's not the death of anybody, anything. It's it's just the moving away from a body that was a vehicle that allowed the person that you loved. It wasn't the body. It was the person, the spirit, the life essence that 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 enter, that, that um, activated the body. That's what's left. And if people question about that no i love the body you know the body is really cool but you look at people who have been married since they were teenagers and beautiful and they're now in their 60s 70s 80s 90s they're not beautiful anymore but the love is stronger it's not the body that was the love the love grows in spite of what's happening to the body so as as you start to um consider these things before anybody is near death then when the death actually comes you're prepared for it in a different way. You know that it's a separation for a little while. The door's open. She's waiting for me sometime. And actually, you know, and you'll know this, I'm sure. Anybody who could tell these stories would say, and you know, I'm not so afraid of death anymore because yeah. I know what's I know what's waiting for me. And it's that, that's the piece that I'm hoping my book will convey. That, yes. you know, it's not what we've always been afraid of. In fact, there's so much more that can come out of it. And I will find a piece that I didn't know was possible. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your story, your many stories and um, grateful for the work that you're doing. I think this book definitely needs to be out in the world and we will definitely put a link up in the show notes um, for when your website is up and running so people can find you and find the book. And uh, thanks so much for being here. Thank you all for tuning in today. If you liked this podcast, please do share, uh, follow, subscribe, all the things so that we can get this information out in the hands of more people. And this is Dr. Adriana signing off. See you next time. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.